Well, after a year off due to COVID restrictions, Formula One back in the USA, returning at the Circuit of the Americas Sunday for the U.S. Grand Prix. We've got a track where Lewis Hamilton is dominated, but he trails in the championship by two points. All right, we'll preview the race. We'll give you five things to watch out for. Plus, we'll go over the circuit in our track talk segment. We'll have top five and bottom five from Turkey, and we'll look at the questions surrounding the future of Formula One for American fans. So a jammed pack episode of the Overtake F1 podcast. But first, subscribe to the podcast if you like what we've been doing all season long. Give us a five-star review. It tells us it helps us in promotion, but we don't know. But we could take the review anyway. Also, we have a Facebook page, the Overtake F1 Podcast. You can find us there. You can contribute in discussions on races, on news and notes from the sport. So we'd love to see you there as well. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Tony D Radio. All right, so full disclosure, if you're a first-time listener, I'm an American. This is my home Grand Prix. Now, the reason I started this podcast is because I'm a sports talk show host. I normally do not get to talk about Formula One on my radio show. And then I started noticing more and more of my friends were following Formula One. But we have not had a Grand Prix since 2019. And many fans came on board to the sport in 2020 when the pandemic shut everyone down and people needed something to watch. And many started noticing Drive to Survive on Netflix. And since then, I've seen even more people become fans of the sport, including like J.J. Watt of the Arizona Cardinals. Now, this race is going to be on ABC television, and Sky Sports is bringing Danica Patrick on board to their broadcast team. Daniel Ricardo is doing interviews with ESPN along with his good friend Josh Allen, the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills. The event is sold out. So, again, this is going to be a really big weekend for fans here in the United States. But I don't want to lose focus of what we have so far this season. This championship fight is very, very close. We only have six races remaining. For all the pomp and circumstance that I feel like I got to wade through this weekend for the Grand Prix, this the race is the most important thing. It has the potential to define the championship if Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen have an issue or a problem or a crash or whatever, and the other one wins the race. If there's a huge gap out of Austin uh, come Sunday night, then we could be looking back at the U.S. Grand Prix as the real turning point in the chase for the championship. Now, every single Grand Prix has this availability to it, but this is where it all begins. We're in the stretch run now. Christian Horner is called Austin Hamilton country, and he's right. There's been eight races at the Circuit of the Americas. Five have been won by Lewis, including in 2012 when he was driving for McLaren. That was the first year of the race. All right, so here are five things to watch for for Sunday's U.S. Grand Prix. Red Bull and Mercedes, or more specifically, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, should be racing from the start of the grid. Now, the last two races were in Russia and Turkey, and that was about controlling potential damage. Both Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton suffered grid penalties for engine upgrades. Max took a full one at Sochi, and Lewis took a partial one at Istanbul Park. And that meant one had to start way behind the other on the grid at the beginning of the race. Now, Austin has the opportunity for two drivers to once again be next to each other as the lights go out. And we have not seen that since Zandvoort for the Dutch Grand Prix. Since both drivers were not near each other on the track in the last two races, the last time they did race head-to-head -head against each other, you had it in the gravel at Monza, where Verstappen's Red Bull was on top of Hamilton's Mercedes. Now, with the championship so close and the calendar getting towards the end, let's see how they're going to go after each other, because barring a terrible qualifying, both should be starting near the front of the grid. Two, how about Ferrari's driver battle? 
Now, the Scuderia chasing McLaren for P3 in the Constructors' Championship. We've been talking about that all season. It's been one of our things to watch for in the race. You know, concentrate on the championship. But how about this battle between Ferrari and McLaren? But both Ferrari drivers, Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc, separated by just a half a point in the driver's standings. Sainz is ahead. He is in sixth. Leclerc is seventh. Now, is this a... A real thing? Sure it is. I mean, each driver has highlights over the past few races. Sainz was driver of the day in Turkey after scoring points from the back of the grid, and he even had the early lead in Russia. And Leclerc had the lead in Turkey before he had a late pit stop, and that's going to put him back to fourth. Now, the constructors' battle with McLaren may be more headlines, and that rightfully so. But these two drivers have been really helping Ferrari get back after a terrible 2020. So just an interesting Ferrari driver battle between these two that are very close. And they're the closest in terms of points between teammates of any of the of the 10 teams on the grid. All right, number three, and we kind of allude to this a few times in our previews throughout the season, but I've kind of combined a bunch of elements here, and that is the track, the weather, and of course, the atmosphere in Austin. Now, we're going to go over the circuit in our track talk segment and why it is popular with the drivers, but one thing that teams have been bringing up is how bumpy the track can get, and they do expect it to be a different circuit than two years ago. That's to be expected. A lot of tracks go through some changes when there's been a long layoff. This track in particular has had some repaving done at different parts of the circuit, but there's going to be a lot of info that's going to be need to be gathered in FP one, how the track has changed in two years. Now you add the weather. It can be hot and dry in Texas this time of year. It can be wet and a little chilly. It's Texas. Things can change. Now, right now, as of this podcast, temperatures are expected to be in the high eighties. Sunday could bring, although it's very slight, some morning rain, uh, that can all change like the weather, no matter where we go in the, on the calendar, weather can certainly change in any part of the globe. But one thing is for certain, the event is sold out. Over 100,000 people are expected to attend. We haven't seen full crowds a lot this year. We've seen one at Silverstone, for example. But a lot of the circuits that we've gone to this season have been 50% capacity, maybe 70% capacity. And we've only had a handful where a Full crowd can be in attendance to really make the atmosphere what it can be at a Formula One Grand Prix. And this weekend is going to be one of them. It's going to be loud. It's going to be energetic. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, one thing that does interest maybe only to me because I'm kind of in the media business. I'm curious what the ratings will be on Football Sunday. I've always wished this race would be run in the spring because of the real intense NFL competition. But this is going to be on ABC TV. Now, we do see a spring Grand Prix coming up next year in Miami. That's good. Now, as far as locally, I think it owns the weekend in that area because the Texas Longhorns football team are off on Saturday when we will do qualifying. And then for the race on Sunday, the Dallas Cowboys do not play. They're on a bye week. So that's a good weekend as far as Austin fans and Austin media is concerned when it comes to this race. All right, number four. And that is this is something that I, I have also sort of alluded to in the past, but I think it really is emphasized with six races remaining. And that's the championship support team. Right. Remember when Hamilton dominated the early part of the season? He wanted Bahrain, Portugal, Barcelona. And Red Bull would say, hey, it's a long season. We got a long way to go. And then Max turned it up. Right. And he had wins at Monaco and you know, France and two races in Austria. And Mercedes and Toto Wolf, he would say the same thing. Right. Well, guess what? Those days are now over. It's go time now. There's only six races remaining. It's been an amazing championship fight, and it's been a lot better than maybe some of us even thought at the beginning of the season. Uh, we've had some years where the championship battle has just kind of been a foregone conclusion by the time we've hit the U.S. Grand Prix, including in 2019 when it was won by Lewis Hamilton, who finished second to Valtteri Bottas. 
But right now, we're getting to the stretch run, as I've been saying over and over again, right? Valtteri Botas and Sergio Perez have been tremendous help at times. Right. And, and other times they haven't been able to help. Right. I do think of Sergio Perez holding back Lewis Hamilton just at the last race we had in Turkey. We've seen Botas do some good things for Hamilton, but we've also seen times where he can't hold up Max Verstappen at all. And Verstappen just gets right past him on his route to chasing down Hamilton at various circuits. So right now, the two teams, Red Bull and Mercedes, are just going to need these two guys to really step up. They're going to need to qualify well. They're going to need to be able to defend at various times on the racetrack. And so this is where we're going to get down to the sort of minutia of Formula One racing, where these little tiny things, what your teammate can help you with, could be very critical as we head down uh, into the later part of the season. All right, and the fifth and final thing to look for is, well, everyone seems to have a new engine now. I mean, Valtteri Bottas got an upgrade in both Italy and Russia. Hamilton took a partial upgrade in Turkey. Carlos Sainz got one at Turkey. Charles Leclerc in Russia. Max Verstappen also had one at Sochi. All right, so here we go, right? The new engines have already added some conversation points with uh, the speeds Mercedes have now. Uh, there was really no question the difference between what Botas had in Turkey compared to Verstappen. Max never even challenged for the lead in that race. Now, Verstappen historically has been pretty good in Austin, but Mercedes has been better. Now, if Max wants to hold on to the lead, the setup for Coda has to be spot on. There are some high-speed corners on the circuit that could benefit Mercedes, but there are just enough slow corners for Red Bull to take advantage because that's been a strong suit for them all season long. All right, it's time for Track Talk where we go over the racetrack for Sunday's Grand Prix. Circuit of the Americas is on the long list of tracks that have hosted Formula One races here in the United States. The U.S. Grand Prix, however, has only been run at Sebring, Watkins Glen, Phoenix, Indianapolis, and Austin. However, cities like Detroit, Dallas, Long Beach, Las Vegas, they've all had Formula One races, just not that distinction. The track runs 5.5 kilometers with 20 turns and some really good elevation changes, especially going up the hill into turn one. Before you turn left and then you start going down the hill through a series of S's, this is modeled after the same ones that you see at Silverstone. There's a blind corner, there's a hairpin at turn 11, then the cars will head down a long straight leading to another tight left-hander. You got a few turns later and then you reach turn 16. And this is another one of those multi-apex turns that is reminiscent of turn eight in Turkey. You know, it's not quite the same. It goes to the right instead of the left. It's not as long, but they, you know, it's got some elements to it like that. A short shoot between turns 19 and the final turn 20, and then you're right back onto the acceleration to the start finish line. There are a lot of turns that are inspired by corners from around the world. This is a Tilki track, so he sort of puts in these kind of elements. Like, uh, this is similar to like a golf course that's like, we've recreated some of the most famous holes from around the world. Uh, it is one of the favorites of the drivers. Uh, this is a circuit that saw Sebastian Vettel win with Red Bull. Kimi Raikkonen won here at Ferrari. And Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, uh, who won in 2019. Pirelli will bring the mid-range tires to the U.S. Grand Prix. C2 for the hards, C3 for the medium, C4 for the softs. Now, they're expecting a two-stop strategy, but we saw a one-stopper in play in two years ago. Hamilton used that. However, Botas was on a two-stopper, and he went on to win the race. All right, this will also run 56 laps. Okay, now it is time for top five and bottom five. All right, here's the bottom five from the race at Istanbul Park for the Turkish Grand Prix. We go from five to number one, and so number five on my list, Fernando Alonso. 
I hate doing it because he said such a good season. Fernando was involved in two incidents in the race. He got caught up in the Gasly sandwich where Pierre Gasly tagged him into turn one on the opening lap. And that put him in the back of the pack. And then he also got in contact with Mick Schumacher later in the race. He finished 16 after starting sixth. And with the first contact that put him back of the field, so he couldn't really recover. So he is in our bottom five at number five. Number four, Charles Leclerc. Had a hard time with this one because I love Charles, but it was a P4. That's a good finish for Ferrari. So it's not bad. It's not a bad result. However, he did lead the race. He started P3. They went just too long on that first set of inners. Once he came in, they couldn't overcome that greening process that the new tire needed. So he fell back. Now, it was a good outcome. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like it could have been better. And I'm getting tired of Ferrari having moments like this where you just know in the end they just can't close the deal. Uh, Number three, and that's Lando Norris. Turkey, just not the race for McLaren at all. Daniel Ricciardo did take a grid penalty. He finished 13th, but I'm not putting him in the bottom five. But Lando, I feel like a P7 was disappointing. I mean, there was a lot of expectations going into the Turkish Grand Prix. How was he going to bounce back from such a disappointing race at Sochi? But he wasn't in a competitive car at all. A lot of it had to do with the wet weather. But afterwards, they said, you know, this is about what we should have expected. This is about as good as we could do. He moved up a spot when Fernando Alonso spun out, and he also dropped it when Hamilton just passed him with no sort of trouble whatsoever. So Lando Norris, it's weird to say that a guy who finished seventh um, is in my bottom five, but Lando Norris and McLaren have have really uh, set the bar just a little too high that a P7 where you're just not doing anything, right, is just kind of disappointing. Number two, and I know this is going to be a little debate, so hear me out on this one. Lewis Hamilton. This was a really hard call again to put him in the bottom five. Now, just for clarification, I don't put like Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher, Nicholas. I don't put them in because I could just do that every single week, right? That's not what this is for. This is sort of saying who had a bad day, a bad race that you really wouldn't expect to have a bad race. I could do the Haas drivers every single week. But the reason I put Hamilton here was, again, this the, what came out of the Turkish Grand Prix was a real controversy between a driver's instinct and a team and their data. Mercedes still believe in the numbers. They think he would have finished P8 if he had not come in and tried to make it to the end. Hamilton, he just felt otherwise. He wanted to stay on those tires. Now, a P5 is a pretty good result from starting 11th, but... This was a back and forth thing between the teams. I know Hamilton sort of cleared it up and so we're a team, et cetera, et cetera. But this was really the main story. It really wasn't Valtteri Bottas's dominating day or Max taking over the lead of the championship. The big story and the big analysis was who was right. The driver that felt like the tires could go to the end and didn't want to give up that third position or the team that saw all of the pace, all of the data that that grace was giving them and said, we're going to make this call. You're not going to make it. And if you do stay out there, you're going to finish worse than third. You definitely aren't going to stay third because Pierre Gasly is coming and he's going to overtake you. You're losing too much ground. And we anticipate that at the end of the race, you're going to be P8, right? But also, he lost the world championship lead, albeit by two points. Still, this is where I got to put him in the bottom five. And number one, and this is more comical, is Sebastian Vettel. And there's really only one reason to put him here. Aston Martin took slicks when nobody else did and nobody else even thought about it. No one 
He was just one driver out there on slick, sliding all over the place. And it was kind of comical. It could have been dangerous, but he, you know, he's fine. It was kind of comical. It was absolutely disastrous. He finished just ahead of both Haas drivers, finishing P18. All right, so there's your bottom five. As far as the top five go, number five, Carlos Sainz, driver of the day. Took the power unit change, made move up the field, earned a P8. Great drive by the Spaniard. He helped Ferrari get double points, said one of his best drives of his career. And I believe him. And he's had some good ones this season. But this one was very good. He really showed the overtaking ability of his Temple Park and his, uh, his Ferrari being able to just cut right through everybody. Number four, Sergio Perez. Checo, you were fantastic. We talked about teammates earlier and their importance in the championship fight. Sergio did his part in Turkey. His fight with Hamilton was fantastic. He kept Hamilton from getting closer to Verstappen, who was running second. And on top of that, he finished third. And he was on the podium. It was a great day for Red Bull. Perez was the big reason why that was a successful Grand Prix. We talk about how these last two races, Russia and Turkey, were damage control for Verstappen at Sochi and damage control for Hamilton in Turkey. But you want to take advantage of that when you can. Hamilton won the race in Russia, right? Valtteri Bottas won the race in Turkey. But Red Bull, who didn't have the car to win the race, got the second best result out of that. Both of their drivers on the podium, and they left with the championship lead for Verstappen. And again, Checo, the main reason. Number three, it is Max Verstappen. I will admit I was disappointed that Max couldn't give Botas a proper fight for the checkered flag. I did expect him to jump out in front at the start, even though turn one at Istanbul Park is only like 250 yards off the grid. But he didn't. And once Botas took that lead into that first turn, that was it. He never even got close. But no matter, it was a clean race for Max. It's a solid P2. He left with the championship lead. That's all you can ask for if you're not going to win the race. If you don't have a car to win the race, what Max did was all you can ask for. He had a P2, and he has a championship lead heading into Austin. Number two, Pierre Gasly. It was a P6 with a five-second penalty. By the way, he didn't really deserve that. Uh, it was a solid drive for Gasly. He had Mercedes sweating enough with his pace that they didn't want to lose any more to him with Hamilton. That's why they went really hard on getting those new tires on Hamilton's car. Gasly was the main reason. All of the debate centered around Gasly's pace at the end of the race. When you look at all the analytical data, they all point to Gasly. What was Gasly doing towards the end? What was Hamilton doing at the end? And when you think about it, and Gasly even said this post-race, he called it one of the best results of the season. Ten seconds off the podium, and he had a five-second penalty. Très bien, Pierre. Très bien. Um, number one, of course, is Valtteri Bottas. There's nothing much more to say. It was a dominating win. It may be his last victory in Formula One. Who knows when he goes off to Alfa Romeo next year. But he just crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. All right, so that's your top five, bottom five from the Turkish Grand Prix at Istanbul Park. All right, one other topic that I do want to get to, and it seems appropriate to do it here because it is the U.S. Grand Prix, and that is a continuing conversation that the sport has had. And we even talked about this earlier this season in the spring, I believe, during like the Portuguese Grand Prix. 
whether a U.S. driver is needed to continue the growth of Formula One in the United States. Now, for clarification, let me make this clear. We've had American drivers in Formula One before, right? Mario Andretti won the world championship. Uh, Phil Hill was an American-born driver that won the Formula One championship. We've seen a for American driver just as recently as 2015. Alexander Rossi was a driver in Formula One. He's from California. We've seen Scott Speed. We've seen Michael Andretti race in Formula One. So we've had American drivers in the sport before. Why now is the conversation elevated? Well, it's been elevated because of the increased popularity that you're starting to see, right? Again, Drive to Survive had a lot to do with that as you're seeing more and more people get into the sport and naturally they want to gravitate towards something that they can cheer for, right? It's very similar. I, I remember oh, about 10 years ago, right, when Premier League soccer was really starting to, to become popular in the United States and it was on NBC and they were really making a big push in the U.S. television markets for pr Premier League soccer. And, but you had to pick a team, right? So some friends like Manchester United and some friends like uh, Liverpool, right? And you had to sort of pick. And I remember there would be like some online quizzes that you could take, some of these fun quizzes that would show you who your best uh, Premier League soccer team was to root for. That was their way of sort of saying, hey, take a side and also enjoy Premier League soccer on NBC Sunday mornings or whatever it was. And right now, for an American getting into the sport, if you're looking for an American flag to root for, it's Haas, and that's not really exciting. So do you need a driver of your nationality? Not really. I mean, I know plenty of people like myself that cheer for Ferrari, and I don't care who's behind the wheel. I know plenty of people who are Lewis Hamilton fans here in the United States. I know plenty of people who have jumped on the Pierre Gasly train, or they like Max Verstappen because he's now young and popular and good. Right. There's a whole bunch of reasons why fans are picking the drivers that they're rooting for. I know the women like Lando Norris, for example. But the reality of it is, is that if you're Liberty Media, you'd love to see an American driver. Again, the sport has had it, but it's on another level here in the United States that you kind of want to capitalize on. So there's this rumor going around that that Michael Andretti's Andretti Motorsports is going to buy Salba. And it's possible, possible that Colton Herta could eventually become a Formula One driver. Now, obviously, he's got to go through the points and system and everything like that to get behind the wheel. It just can't happen overnight. But the reality of it is, if that does happen, what does it mean for the sport? I think it means tremendous. I would think it would mean tremendous things for the sport. If a guy like Colton Herta at 21 now in a few years was able to be a Formula One driver and just be part of this growing trend here in the United States, is it necessary? Not really. I don't think it is. I think the sport is appealing on its own. It, this is just an added ingredient that I think would make it better for people in the United States. Because I think when you watch this sport from the United States and you see the level of enthusiasm the British fans have for Lewis Hamilton, the Dutch fans have for Max Verstappen. You go to Barcelona and it's Carlos Sainz and Fernando Alonso. I can go on and on. I mean, all the drivers that are on the grid, if they have a home Grand Prix, you just see the level of enthusiasm from that home crowd. Now, because we're in a new level of growing popularity, I think other Formula One drivers who have been in the sport are being overlooked, right? People are almost acting as if there has never been an American behind the wheel of a Formula One car. And as I just mentioned, Alexander Rossi competed in the U.S. Grand Prix in 2015. I think he finished 12th. So we've seen it before. But I think now, I think it would be incredibly beneficial if there was. I do know and I do understand how difficult that's going to be. It's not a snap of the finger. 
And Danica Patrick said this in an interview with ESPN. It's going to take some luck, right? It's going to take the right circumstances. We're talking about the highest end of motorsport racing. And we are also talking about the 20 top drivers in the world. But we also know there are drivers on the grid that got there through different circumstances. Some earned by merit, some earned because there's a financial backing. We know about the pay driver system in Formula One. So I understand the thought of traditionalists by saying you can just slap an American driver in a, a car but we've kind of already passed that Rubicon, if you will, right? We've already sort of thought, you know, yeah, you can, right? If that's what, what will present itself to a, a team buying another team, you can see it happening. But I will say this, and I, I said this uh, in a previous podcast, I do think that if you're going to put an American driver in Formula One, if you want Americans to follow that person passionately, it needs to be all season. It can't just be when they have the U.S. Grand Prix or the Miami Grand Prix or whenever they come to the United States. It's got to be something you can build on. And if that particular driver, and again, with the new rules in 2022, you might have a more level competitive field. If that particular driver was on a backmarker team, I don't think it's going to work much. I just don't think you're going to get people to wake up early in the morning for a race in Turkey or a race in Russia or stay up really late for a race in Japan or in Australia to watch an American driver finish P18. That level of fandom just isn't going to be there. You've got to sell the American fans on why Formula One is as exciting as it is right now without sort of the carrot on the end of the stick that says, and one day you'll be able to root for the stars and stripes on the helmet of one driver on the grid. So that's my take on that. And I, and I do think it's something that is going to continue to be brought up as, especially when the sport continues to gain some traction here in the United States. All right, now it's time for predictions. I do think Mercedes is going to win. I do expect Red Bull to be very competitive though. I do think those slow corners are to their benefit, but I do think we're seeing a different level of speed with the Mercedes now. This is a fast track at various points, and I think Mercedes is going to take advantage of it. I think Lewis Hamilton is going to win this race. I think he's going to have the championship lead when we leave Austin and head to Mexico. By the way, really excited for Daniel Ricciardo. Zach Brown is going to let him drive the 1984 Dale Earnhardt Wrangler car around the Circuit of the Americas. It's a dream come true for him. Earnhardt was one of his heroes. So I'm kind of excited for that. Uh, again, enjoy the U.S. Grand Prix, especially if you are a listener in the United States. It's our home Grand Prix. Uh, I've celebrated all of the Grand Prix so far this season, but this one is, of course, pretty special. All right. Again, subscribe to the channel. Leave us a five-star review if you like what we've been doing all season. If you're a first-time listener, leave us a five-star review anyway, because I could really the help. Uh, this has been growing and we love seeing it grow, but we could always use some more growth. Also like us on Facebook, the overtake F1 podcast, join us there in the community for conversations. You can comment on the race news of notes of the day, anything that's going on in the world of formula one. We'd love to see you there. If you do need to contact me for any reason whatsoever, there's two ways to do it. I'm on Twitter at Tony D radio. You can also email the show and it's simple. The overtake F1 podcast at gmail.com. All right, we will be back next week and early next week. I know we got a little bit of a late uh, start last week due to family circumstances for the Turkish Grand uh, Prix review, but I will not do that for the U.S. Grand Prix review, so look for that early next week once the race is over. Enjoy everything that is going on this weekend at the Circuit of the Americas, especially if you're watching on ABC. God, I felt like a kid again. It is the Overtake F1 podcast. <laughs>